this is the Abstract Journal Podcast. My name is Kevin Clark. I've been writing fiction for over 30 years. I realize that you've probably never heard of me, but perhaps I'm the greatest fiction writer that you've never heard of. This is the second episode in a series based on a story I wrote over 20 years ago titled Buy Me Some Pickles and Cracker Jacks. It's based in the fictional town of Pimpton in West Central Ohio. It begins in the 1930s, but mostly takes place in the late 1940s and early 1950s. It's about baseball, love, religion, alcoholism, racism, and baseball. This is Buy Me Some Pickles and Cracker Jacks, Episode 2. Hannes always insisted that the grass was never greener, the sky never bluer, nor was the air ever sweeter in Pym Park than it was that July afternoon. As he walked onto the field and stood in the sweltering sunlight, the t-shirt beneath his jersey saturated with perspiration, he felt his heart begin to beat as though it were doing so for the first time. As he surveyed his team warming up on the field, just the mere thought that this was his team sent a wave of goose flesh up his arms and down his back. Only a few minutes prior, he had addressed them for the first time, after being officially introduced by Mr. Pym. All throughout the decade leading up to this, Hannes had dreamed of being a manager. From the day Edwards had taken over his high school squad, and he saw the miserable job he had done, Hannes determined in his soul he could do better. And at last he had the opportunity to prove it. No one seems to know exactly what it was that he did before that day. His claim was that before July 17, 1948, he didn't even exist. But there's sufficient evidence to the contrary. A wife of seven years, a son who was five years old at the time, as well as his three and a half year old daughter, and his outstanding career as a high school baseball player, which we discussed earlier. We know that he worked for the Pimpton Pickles Baseball Club, but in just what capacity is what all the uncertainty surrounds. Many say he was a statistician. Others claim that he was merely a clerk, and a few even think that he was operations manager, but no one is sure. Even a few of those who worked with him didn't have a clue. All they could recall was that he sat at his desk day after day, and read the paper, mostly the sports page. He would intently study it. Near the end of the workday, he would extract his scissors from a coffee mug atop his desk, cut out the box scores, then attaching them with a paper clip to any notes he may have scribbled on a piece of legal paper, he'd put them away in his files. Finally, he would tell everyone goodnight and go home to his family. Nearly an hour before the first pitch, fans began streaming into the pickle jar, as Pym Park was adoredly referred by the Pimpton faithful. The stadium, built at the turn of the century, was buzzing with excitement generated by the presence of a new coach. And not just any coach either, but a local hero, one of Pimpton's own sons. Most everyone could recall Hannes' feats as a schoolboy baseball star, and to a man they all blamed Edwards for shooting down their star. Now they felt, at least in part, there was some semblance of justice and that Hannes was replacing him as coach. As he viewed Patrick Berwick hitting fly balls to the outfielders, 
Casper Stevens with his ebony skin glistening, racing like the wind to shag one of Berwick's pops, and Luke Dresden knocking grounders at the infielders, all the while constantly yapping to Sam Jasper, the catcher. Hannes's mind began to wonder. First he replayed his talk to the team in his mind. It was no rah-rah speech, but he did let them know they were a much better team than their record illustrated. In fact, I don't think it's possible for any team to be that awful, were his words to them, but this team hasn't been given the opportunity to win. Well, gentlemen, he paused briefly only for the effect, then continued, I'm here to give you that opportunity. What you choose to do with it is up to you. It's not the personnel we have, and to emphasize that fact, I'm not going to change anything. Everyone will play in their regular position and will use the same batting order, for now. But when we walk off that field after the game, we will be the victors. The fact that he wasn't going to change any of the players caught some off guard, especially Ignatius Edward Jr. His father had brought him to Pimpton after he finished college and made him shortstop. Hannes knew that although his fielding skills hadn't improved much since his high school days, he was one of the team's better hitters, and quite popular among the teammates. Another of those who were most shocked was Herman Rogers, a classmate of Hannes's from high school. Herm thought for sure his old buddy would name him starting catcher. The glaring truth, however, was that Herm just wasn't the caliber of player that Sam Jasper was. Herman could hit the ball decent enough, yet with nowhere near the power of Jasper. He wasn't as skilled at handling pitchers, and his defense, though adequate, still lacked the arm strength of Sam. Then as Hannes eyed Wally Spring knocking down a hard grounder at third, he laughed to himself, recalling what Wally had said to him after his speech. Spring was a talented ball player, but all his skills rose from his feet and ceased at the base of his neck. No sooner had Hannes finished announcing that he wasn't going to change any of the personnel, than Wally approached him. Coach, he inquired, am I still going to be starting at third? Hannes smiled at him, trying not to laugh, then patted him on the back and nodded the affirmative. His leaving spring in the lineup had the same effect that would have been derived from feeding a lost puppy. Hannes had made a friend for life, whether he wanted to or not. Then he glanced back at Luke Dresden. The old-timer was still yapping away to Jasper as he hit grounders to the infielders. Hannes had had the honor, if you wish to call it such, of meeting his pitching infield first base coach many years before, since both men had been working for the Pickles organization. The chatterbox of a man had once upon a time been the top pitcher in the Northwest League and briefly pitched in the bigs. To hear Luke talk about it though, one would be led to believe he had had a Hall of Fame career in the majors. At only 56 years of age, Luke appeared to be at least 15 years older. His height had diminished a couple inches from the 5'10-inch 19-year-old, which had burned up batters in the league nearly four decades before. All that remained of his orange hair had faded to gray and revealed itself in thin wisps protruding beneath his cap. His wrinkled cheeks were constantly bulging from a plug of tobacco. While the players finished dressing in the locker, Luke had entered the manager's office and chewed the fat with Hannes for a while, though it was mostly Luke who did the chewing. 
Because Hannes took the time to listen and gave the impression of being interested in what he was saying, Luke immediately took a liking to him. Luke was more or less giving Hannes a welcome speech of his own, telling him just how things were done, or how things were done by Edwards anyway. Hannes was all too familiar with the way things were done under Edwards, but not wanting to insult Dresden, he patiently listened nonetheless. Hannes was snapped out of his trance when he heard his name being called. Turning, he saw his beautiful wife Estelle, her long chestnut hair concealed under a large brim hat and a pleasant smile upon her full lips. But her emerald eyes harbored a faint sorrow. Sure, she knew what this job meant to Hannes, yet she also realized what it meant to her. Her husband would be going away on road trips, some nearly two weeks in length. She would be spending long and lonely evenings alone with two small children who wouldn't understand why their daddy wasn't home. Hannes didn't discern any of this, though. Too caught up in his own bliss. He could only see his lovely wife's smile. Walking around to the end of the dugout, he kissed her, then tousled the hair on top of the heads of his son and daughter, which were standing on either side of their mother, their hands in hers. Little Veronica, a miniature replica of her mother, at three years of age, was still too young to fully comprehend what all the excitement was about. On the other hand, Lou, who had been to the ballpark with his father on many occasions, understood perfectly. He was a bundle of energy fueled by the announcement of his father being named the Pickles manager. Hannes conversed with his family for close to 10 minutes amidst constant interruptions from well-wishers and hero worshippers. Then he kissed Estelle once more against a chorus of cheers from the crowd and took a seat in the dugout to fill out his first lineup card. True to his word, he didn't change one player from position or batting order. With the exception of the starting pitcher, of course, it was the same crew who had lost in Catawba the night before to the Catfish, 6-4. Sam Jasper, the catcher, was leadoff. He was followed by Wally Spring at third, Carter Stevens in left. Batting cleanup was Junior Edwards at short. Next was Sid Truffle playing second. Batting sixth and starting at first base was one of Hannes's four schoolmates from Pimpton High School, Paul Thurston. More than likely, Paul would have had an opportunity to sign with the major league team and could have probably advanced to the upper minor leagues, but after his brother Peter was killed in World War II, he felt obligated to stay around and help his father run their hardware store. Following Paul was Clay McGill in center field, Harvey Marshall in right, and on the mound was the other Pimpton High alumni, Rod Lightning Rod Terrace. The Pickles were leaving the field to allow the visiting Elkton Elks their warm-ups when Hannes trotted out to exchange lineup cards with Frank Stiltz. Two decades before, Stiltz had been a standout center fielder and later in his career first baseman for the now-defunct Miller City Millers. He had played on four championships teams, two of which he served as player-manager. After he retired from being an active player, he continued to coach for Miller City until the team broke up following the death of their owner in 1939. As soon as it became official that Miller City was disbanded, Elkton fired Bryce Gibson, who had been their manager since the Elks' inception in the league back in 34, and they hired Stilts. At this time, Frank was struggling to keep his defending champion Elks in contention for another run at the Wheat Cup. 
The Elks were only a game and a half up on the Roseville Republicans and seven behind first place Freeport. With only the top two teams being eligible to participate in the championship series, Frank had his work cut out for him, trying to hold off the charging Republicans. No doubt he was feeling a little smug going into a three-game set against the last-place team with a freshman coach. For Hannes, it was something of an honor to meet one of the icons of the Northwest League. He felt that it was a great privilege to coach against such a distinguished adversary. Frank shook Hannes' hand and greeted him cordially. However, when he wished Hannes good luck, he added, You'll need it. Hannes glared back at the Elkman skipper. Stiltz's arrogance manifested itself in every aspect of his demeanor, from the gaudy diamond ring he flashed around as he spoke, to his leathery tan and his shoe-polished black hair. Hannes, feeling quite irked by the slight, just smiled back and chimed in, We'll see. Then he spun around and walked back to the dugout. After the Pimpton Junior High Glee Club sang the national anthem, Hannes' journey officially began. The start was rather rocky, however. Terrace gave up a bloop hit to the leadoff batter. Then the all-too-familiar sight of Junior Edwards committing a fielding error followed that. Then a walk by Terrace loaded the bases. Hannes sent Luke out to have a chat with the lightning rod and try to settle his nerves. As soon as Luke returned to the bench, Terrace being the next batter to bring home the game's first run. That must have been some speech, Luke, teased Hannes. Utility infielders Farnham Smitty and Ackley Stanwich, sitting with an earshot, eyed one another quizzically, unaccustomed to their new manager's sarcasm. Dresden recognized it for what it was. He spit a stream of tobacco juice between his feet and responded, Well, I did tell him to go after the hitter. Smitty and Stanwich each let out a chuckle. Herm Rogers who sat stewing to the far side of the infielders, made an acrimonious grunt. Junior made a fine catch on a ball hit by the next batter, scooping it off the grass to start a double play. Unfortunately, the runner from third scored. The twin killing was enough to snap Terrace from his funk, though, and he fanned the next man to end the inning. Hannes congratulated Junior for the double play and Terrace for the strikeout, but mentioned nothing of the two runs that were scored. This seemed odd to the Pimpton players who were by now accustomed to being harassed and insulted by Edwards. Players who were already dropping their heads as they came off the field took encouragement from this and the tension lifted as they went into the bottom of the half inning. In the home half of the first, muscular Sam Jasper smashed a double into the gap in left center to get things started for Pimpton. Then Spring hit the ball hard but right at the first baseman. Jasper had to hold it second. Sam moved to third on a fly deep to right center by Carter Stevens and later scored on a grounder up the middle by Edwards. Truffle whiffed in the inning, but at least Pimpton was on the board. From his bench seat in the Pickles dugout, Hannes listened to the fans as they came to their feet during the seventh inning stretch to sing their hometown version of Take Me Out to the Ball Game. When sung in Pym Park, the lyrics were transformed from buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jacks to buy me some pickles and Cracker Jacks. For as long as anyone could remember, Pimpton fans had sung it that way. Hannes' heart swelled with pride as he listened to the song. A smile creased his lips, caught in a moment of nostalgia. He recalled singing those nearly sacred words sitting in the bleachers with his father as a young boy. 
He was nearly a teenager before he realized those weren't the actual words. The 2-1 score held into the bottom of the eighth. Terrace had taken control of the game after the rough first inning, and he scattered three hits over the next seven. The Pickles had threatened twice, only to have Truffle hit into a double play to end the inning each time. Paul Thurston led the eighth off by pulling the ball into right field for a single. Immediately, Hanish yanked his first baseman and sent Casper Stevens, who along with his older brother Carter and pitcher Otis Hatfield, were the only African Americans on the team as a pinch runner. Casper was an excellent player and one of the fastest men on the team, his only drawback being that he wasn't able to make road trips because someone had to stay back and tend to the family farm. Casper stole second on the first pitch to McGill without the Elkton catcher even troubling himself to make a throw. Then Clay bunted him over to third with a sacrifice on the next pitch. Harvey Marshall then fouled out to the first baseman. With two down, Hannes called on Herm Rogers to hit for Lightning Rod Terrace, the pitcher. Herm, who had been stewing the entire game, not so much as saying a word to Hannes, came to life when his number was called. Rogers came through with a clutch line drive that ricocheted off the wall near the line and left for a double. Casper scored easily and the game was knotted up at two apiece. Sam Jasper then came to the plate and took two straight balls before fouling off the next three pitches. With a two-ball, two-strike count, the Elkton hurler hung a curve across the plate, which Jasper quickly deposited in the left field bleachers. Afterwards, Wally Spring was thrown out trying to stretch a double into a triple to end the inning, but now Pimpton led 4-2. to two. Hannes left Herm in the game to play first and placed Casper Stevens in center field, but it wouldn't have mattered if he had put his daughter in the game. Otis Hatfield took over on the mound and whipped the side to end the game. The Pickles had been victorious in his first attempt at coaching.